Hey everybody, we're in a teaching series on relationships called It's Not You, It's Me. And our prayer is that wherever you are as you listen to this, that God would use this teaching as a tool to grow you and strengthen you in your relationships. Thanks for listening and subscribing. Thanks for commenting. Hey, share this message with some friends. It makes a big difference. At Soma, we want everybody to know God so they can find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. We hope this collection of talks draws you to Jesus and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. And it's a relationship series, and the approach that we're taking is, hey, instead of focusing on what other people have going on, so your spouse or someone you're dating or friend or family member or whatever, instead of focusing on their faults or instead of focusing on the areas that they need improvement, because a lot of people hear series like this, they're like, I can't wait to share this with so-and-so. It's like, this series is for you. So Matthew 7, Jesus says this. It's probably some of the best relationship advice ever. He says this. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time, man, there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrites. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so normally we're acutely aware, we're acutely aware of other people's faults. We have a tendency to dismiss our own faults. And instead we're highlighting other people's problems or other people's brokenness, other people's sin, their missed marks. And so Jesus is telling us in this passage, hey, focus on you. In other words, it's not you, it's me. Focus on, focus on you and then watch what happens to the relationships in your life as you focus on your own formation in Christ. And so last week we hit the topic of communication. If you missed last week, if you missed any week, you can go online and get caught up. This week we're going to talk about the topic of sex. So turn to your neighbor and say, I'm uncomfortable already. I'm already uncomfortable. I just made it weird, okay? Um, and it's in a room like this, I know it's a topic that is hard to navigate. It's a topic that for many of us, there is shame attached to this topic. Um, things that you've been through, relationships past and some relationships present. And it could be things that have happened to you. It could be things, self-inflicted wounds, things that you've seen, things you've experienced, things that you've thought, places you've been, all that kind of stuff. And, and this type of series will, will bring that up. And just an encouragement on the front end that if you do experience shame or if you do experience some level of condemnation, our heart, really more importantly, God's heart for you is that you would be freed from that. So you don't have to continue to try and hide or try and manage whatever your struggles are by yourself. Like God's desire, he's not mad at you. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to lift your head by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to free you from the things you need to be freed from. And some of that could be stuff that you've been carrying around for decades. And so it's such a hard conversation um, for us to have. And it's so hard that last week when I told people this week, I was like, hey, this coming week, this is what the topic is going to be. So I, I, I told everybody who came last week, this is where we're headed. And so I know there's people who are like, I'm out. They're like, I'll catch y'all the week after that. And they're going to be here for week two of sex. You know what I mean? I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. Like, juke them. Be like, got you. Uh, but... But I'm excited for this topic because this is a topic that hits every single person in the room, all of us. Because some of you are like, I'm not there. I'm not in dating season of life. I'm, I'm not in a romantic relationship. I'm not engaged. I'm not married. This topic doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. You are here. 
you're, you got here, all right? So it was a, and there's like 350-ish kids in Soma Kids. So somebody somewhere is having sex, right? So it's like this is a topic that is, I think is applicable to all of us. And all of us really, because it's a big part of relationships, romantic relationships, and learning how to navigate what does God have to say around this topic rather than what does broader culture have to say. Because, man, everybody else is so loud on this subject, and we get a little, cringe, a little cringy when we go in church space and people begin to talk about it. And it's like, who else is going to talk about it other than God? He created it. He designed it. He gave it to you as, as a gift from me and you to steward. Why would we not want to know what God has to say about it? And so before we jump into the topic today, I do want to pray because I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to, to do things that only he could do and for God to tailor this message for what you need. Okay, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to gather as your church. Oh, we're so grateful that you, uh, God, that you have spoken, that, that you love us, and that love is made manifest in Christ. But God, you give us your word, and it's authoritative. Help us to come under it, surrender our lives to what you've already said. God, also, Holy Spirit, would you just speak to us this morning, the areas that we're struggling with, the areas of shame that we have attached to this topic. God, would you lift our head? Help us to see and experience Jesus. Holy Spirit, for the areas of our life that are inconsistent, these are things that, these are choices that we've made, and these are decisions that we've made, and these are inconsistencies in our own life with who you're calling us to become. Would you give us the courage of conviction to be able to step into obedience in the areas that we need to, and give us over to more, the more that you paid for. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. All right, I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you today, and if we're going to start with a topic like sex, we've got to start all the way at the very beginning. So we're going Genesis and again, if all you do is write down the addresses I throw, you go back and check my math, um, it, it'll be really fulfilling. So Genesis 1.1, all of Scripture starts off with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is a Jewish phrasing to say God created everything uh, from the top to the bottom. It's just not like, hey, he created the earth and the sky. He created everything, everything he created. You go to the end of the chapter in verse 31, and it says this about all creation, including me and you, including everything that goes along with me and you. It says this in verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Everybody say very good. It was very good. All that he made was very good. The word, the original language is tov, tov. And so T-O-V, there's this word that means uh, it, it speaks to the human senses. So taste and touch and sight and smell and sound. It was very tov. It was very good. And in the Bible, tov is used to describe bread, like when you're eating, and wine and honey and perfume, a feast, somebody's home, hospitality, uh, shade under a tree on a hot day, and sex. All of these the, the, the Bible would describe as very tov. But it speaks to the senses and so to contextualize it for me and you, this is just my list. You can have your own list. But like Tove for me is like a good steak. Oh, that's Tove. Fresh cut, fresh cut Christmas tree. Holla at your boy. I love that. I, love, I mean, I know that's some of y'all, you can't stand that smell. I love that smell. People who are good huggers. You know what I'm talking about? People, there's some people who don't know how to hug. They don't commit fully. They lack the confidence. There's other people who hug you from across the room. And it just hits different. Um, that's Tove. Music that just moves you. A beautiful sunset. An incredible work of art. That's Tove. And according to the Bible, sex is Tove. So all that God created was very good. And in Genesis 1 and 2, 
is where we see, man, God created sex. He created sexual intimacy. And it wasn't our idea. We didn't make it up. He made it, and it was in there from the beginning. Genesis, Genesis 1 tells us some things about uh, God's intention with sex, but it tells us even more about the heart of God, that his desire isn't to withhold things from us, good things, pleasurable things, that he desires those things. As a matter of fact, he made those things. But he also desires for you to, to flourish in your relationships. He wants you to have human flourishing. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about sex or if we're talking about communication or if we're talking about money or if we're talking about any other area of life, there is a thing, this is a, these are gifts that God has given us to steward, but then he asks us, hey, if you, would do, if you would do these things the way that I've asked you to do these things, you would have real human flourishing. You would experience a level of joy and freedom and fulfillment if you approach these things the way that I've approached. And if you don't, you will feel the consequences of that, not because he's mad at you, just because you're outside of the bounds of what he desires for you. You've chosen your own way. And so 1 Timothy six seventeen says this, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So we got to realize that God provides us with everything we need for our enjoyment. And we need to enjoy the very good stuff that God created. It's okay to have a good time. It's okay. Food, drink, uh, nature, sex, all of these God has given us for enjoyment. And enjoying the very good things in life should make us grateful. It honestly should lead you to a place, the whole idea is it should lead you to a place of worship where you just express gratitude for, wow, that's crazy that I get to experience this. Thank you, God, for this gift. It's wild. And so the whole idea is everything that you and I enjoy in sex is God's created genius on display. You and I didn't design it. We didn't create it. He did. And so uh, Genesis 1, 27 through 28, just a few verses before verse 31, it says this, God created mankind in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. It's talking about the covenant now. It's talking about marriage. Blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And so right here in these two verses in Genesis 1, we see that God establishes two things in this passage, again, by his word, marriage and sex. And so marriage is the context of the vehicle by which we should experience sexual intimacy. And so when it says he created them, male and female, God has designed sex within the bounds and in the confines of a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. Jesus affirms this in the New Testament. So this isn't something that's like you're just pulling out of Genesis 1. Here's what Jesus says. As a matter of fact, a leader, a uh, Jewish scholar would come to Jesus and they said, hey, what's the deal with divorce? Let's talk about divorce. Because there was two schools of thought at the day and the kind of contemporaries of Jesus. They said, one group said, hey, we can divorce uh, if and only if, you know, the, the woman has committed adultery. And then there's another group that said, no, we can, we can divorce if we feel like it or if we're tired of them or if we want to just, you know, whatever. Um, and, and so they, they go to Jesus and they say, hey, what do you say about divorce? And then Jesus's response is to quote Genesis 1. And I love his response because it's about divorce, but even more specifically, it's about marriage and sexual intimacy. Jesus says this in Matthew 19. Haven't you read? He's saying, why are you asking me? You already know the answer. You're a Jewish scholar for crying out loud. Like you already know what the, what the Bible says. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother to be united to his wife, marriage, and the two will become one flesh, sex. 
And so God blesses this union between Adam and Eve in the beginning in Genesis, man and woman. And he institutes sexual intimacy between a man and a woman in marriage. And then the idea is that anything outside of what God has designed for us in covenant relationship always has things attached to it that will cause us problems, issues, struggles, shame, all of that. Because, again, it's outside of God's desire for human flourishing. And so... uh, and I know in a room like this, we're all bringing our own baggage as it relates to this topic. So, so you hear me. This isn't, nobody's mad at you. Nobody's looking down on you. And our desire, again, is to lift your head and help you to see Jesus for who he is. Because God's desire is to free you. There's things that you've been dragging around for a long time. Things that you've been hiding. Things that you've just, a lack, a lack of, uh, of openness and honesty around your struggles or temptations with this area. But man, God desires to free us. And so look at this in Genesis 1, 28. It says this, God blessed them, talking about Adam and Eve, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. A lot of people struggle with the Christian faith. A lot of people struggle with following Jesus because they're like, it's just a lot of rules. There's a lot of commands. There are a lot of things that you have to do that God's asked us to do. And I would totally agree with that. There are things that God's asked us to do. And what's crazy is the first thing that God has asked us to do is he looks at a husband and wife and he's like, go have sex and make babies and populate. And, uh, and, and it's, it's a positive affirmation around the thing that God's created. He didn't start with don't do these things. He started with do these things and here's the way to do it. So just like communication last week, I'm going to spend less time telling you what not to do, more time telling you, hey, here's God's design as it relates to sex. And I know many of you, I know many of you are aware because it's like, we, again, we, we have to have a second location to accommodate all the children that are part of the life of our church. So, so I think this is, this is a very fitting topic as it relates to relationships. Um, and when it comes to this topic, I'm also aware that um, many of us, we, our background in the church, like at least the way that I grew up, the message was don't, just don't do it. Like sex is amazing. Don't do it. You know, it was like, it was like, what? And so, it, so the, the topic, the, the conversation was around, hey, don't, don't just basically don't. That was the, that was the conversation, and it was never really explained. Hey, biblically, what what is it? Why is it? Why are we doing it the way that God's designed it? And so uh, that's my goal today is to give that to you. The conversation when I was growing up was centered on specifically in high school. Like you had that one, um, like you went to youth group in high school, and that was always that conversation. Usually when you're a junior, and it was like, hey, you know, save yourself for marriage. It was centered on virginity, and. And I would say it's less about virginity and it's more about purity. So I'd say God's heart is even higher because we we have a tendency to think, okay, well, you know, what if I didn't? What if I screwed up? What if I made a mistake? What if I, you know, what is my life over now because I didn't? And and I would say the gospel narrative is no, we serve a a God of redemption. We serve a God of restoration. We serve a God who desires to meet you right in the middle of your stuff. He knows that you, like, this is the reason why Jesus came. But also, I think purity is a higher bar. So Jesus comes along and he says, hey, you've heard it said don't commit adultery. But then he says, hey, I'm telling you don't lust after one another because if you do, you've committed adultery in your heart. So, again, higher bar for purity than this idea of virginity. And so purity is really, uh, it's really me surrendering and submitting myself to God's way. That's what purity is. And, again, it, you can hit it's sex. It's any area of life. God, what do you have to say? What is your standard as it relates to this area of my relationship or this area of my life? And then I'm going to submit myself and surrender to what you have to say. 
the boundaries and the guardrails that you put in place for me to experience flourishing. And the scripture doesn't start with this negative command about sex, but it starts with the command to be fruitful and multiply. The Bible says in Genesis 2 that when he created, when God created Adam, the one thing that was not good was that Adam was in isolation. And so he creates Eve. Oh, thank God he created Eve. He he looked at Adam and he was like, "Mm, you need a helper, you need a partner, you need someone to do life with, and they're going to be completely different than you. Right? And so Adam, the Bible tells us too that when Adam sees Eve, he begins to sing. He actually sings a song over Eve and he says, you're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. In other words, in other words, hey girl, that's what he's saying. He's saying, hey. And so that's my paraphrasing. Genesis 2, 25, it says this about the couple. Adam and his wife were both naked. Everybody say naked. We in the South. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Oh, they felt no shame. And so it's, it, the idea is security, vulnerability, authenticity. And again, you're walking in purity, surrendering to God's way. You can be naked and unashamed. For anybody who's ever experienced, and I know for a room like this, many of us have, sex outside of marriage, you're God's design for covenant relationship. And then experience sex inside of God's design of covenant relationship. For example, honeymoon. Like, it's that moment you go on the honeymoon and you're like, everybody knows we're having sex right now, including God and my mom and dad, and everybody's cool with it. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it just it frees you up to be like, wow, this is God's will for me. I'm, I'm right in the middle of what God wants for me, and it feels like no shame. That's what it feels like. But all of, but all of what we've read up to this point, Genesis 1 and 2, God's design for sex and sexual intimacy, and what we see in the garden is pre-fall. So Genesis 3 is where sin enters the picture. Genesis 3 is where disobedience enters the picture. Up to this point, they are naked and unashamed. Woo! And now Genesis 3 happens, and, and they're very aware of what's going on. And so in our disobedience, sin enters the picture. Adam and Eve, they broke God's plan in that they were disobedient. And God says, he tells them, he's like, hey, you can have everything. Everything I've created is for you and for your pleasure, for your experience. Except that one tree. I don't want you to eat of that one tree. And again, in their humanity could not do it. And so the Bible tells us that the serpent comes to Eve, tempts Eve. Did God really say? And then, and then here's what happens in Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. A lot of debate as to whether or not Man, what's the deal with original sin? What's the deal with the fault? Is it Eve's fault? Is it the guy's fault? You know what I mean? Adam, come on, you're abdicating responsibility. Whatever, bro, what's your problem? And, and people are like, oh, it's the woman, you know. And here's my take on the whole thing. If, if I walk into a room and my wife is naked eating a pineapple, and then she's like, hey, come and eat a pineapple, I'm probably going to go eat a pineapple. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Have you ever thought about it? I asked her, too. I was like, can I say that? She was like, sure, yeah, that's fine, whatever. But it's true. Verse 7. But here's what happened. I'm not trying to make light of the fall or, or, um, or this moment. It's a big deal. Because in their disobedience, the eyes of both of them are opened. Where they, they used to have no shame, it floods in because of their dis- disobedience. And they realized that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And in Genesis 1 and 2, 
it, it's a reminder that, hey, even before sin enters the picture, we're sexual. God created sex, instituted marriage and sex pre-fall. It's very good. It's tov. And now sin has entered the picture. And for many of you, you've thought for years, I mean, I have a sex problem. You don't have a sex problem. You have a sin problem. And so this is what we see in Genesis 3. Uh, the serpent says to Eve, did God really say? And then he lies to Eve. And then Eve and Adam, they step out of purity, authenticity, vulnerability, and obedience before God. And they choose to accept the lie of the enemy for immediate gratification. Does that, does that sound familiar? Right? This is our story. This is what happens to us. The Bible says as soon as Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they realized that they were naked and they hid. And you and I, we've been hiding ever since, particularly as it relates to this issue. Okay? And again, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to put you on blast. I'm, like, I'm not reading nobody's mail. I'm like, let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. I'm just going to preach. I'm just going to read God's word. If it offends you, take it up with God. Okay? So I'm just going to read God's word. But there's several things that I feel like are keeping us from flourishing. And there's seven li several lies that we buy as it relates to sexual intimacy. Here's what broader culture has to say around it. The, they, one of the lies that we buy is that everybody's doing it. So when it comes to sex outside of marriage, when it comes to sex before marriage, when it comes to, hey, do, operating outside of God's covenant, everybody else is doing it. That you can't win the battle of your sexual desires. If you just give in to your lust, it'll feel better and it will lead to happiness. Except anybody who's ever done that knows that it's the opposite. It, it, it leads to a place of shame. And the fact that everyone else is living a certain way when it comes to sexuality should be our sign as a follower of Jesus that, that we should probably run in the opposite direction. The Bible tells us as a follower of Christ to be set apart in every area of our life. Again, not just in this area. In every area. How am I communicating to people? What is my thought life like? How do I steward God's resources? What do my finances look like? What is vocation and purpose for my life? How am I doing? And again, every area be set apart. Why would it not apply to this? I had somebody come up to me uh, last year, and they were just real honest. Somebody who was a part of the life of our church, and it was after a service, and they said, hey, here's the issue. I know what God's asking me to do in this area, the, the area of sexuality, the area of sexual intimacy. And, and I, I know, like, God's standard. And yet my body is, like, telling me a different thing. And I'm having a hard time telling my body no. When, when I know what God's word says in this area, how do I address that? And I think there's a couple things to think through. Number one, the fruit of the spirit is self-control. It's not the fruit of the, your, your flesh. So if you're trying to manage your own temptation, your own sin, your own predisposition to struggle in this way in your own flesh, you will never be able to do it. The idea is, hey, out of a personal relationship with Jesus, out of the overflow of what God's doing on the inside of me, out of a prayer life, out of a surrendering, and, and out of just being led by the spirit, keeping in step with the spirit is an area like God's going to give me what I need for this moment. He's going to give me an out. I may experience temptation. He's going to give me a way out. And again, by his spirit, I have the strength in order to do it. He empowers you by his spirit. Another thing that I told them was like, just be more wise and discerning around the types of places that you put yourself. Because again, a part of, a part of this lie, everybody's doing it, is this idea of, uh, you know, I'm just going to, so it's environment, it's your phone, it's stuff you watch, it's stuff you listen to, it's stuff you... That stuff gets on you, and the thought is, I can't manage. Of course you can't, because you're just watching the same junk, doing the same things, going the same places, hanging out with the same people. Like, the idea is cut the hand off, gouge the eye out, metaphorically. Flee from sexual temptation is what the Bible tells us. So where can you control it, and there are places that you can control it, 
Control it. And then there's places that you can't. Again, God will give you the, the power in order to uh, control yourself, self-control in that area. But this, I, this, this lie that everybody's doing, it's just it's a lie. Here's the, ne- here's the next one. Sex is just physical. Like it's tackle football. Like it's working out or something. Like it's just physical. And it's so casual the way people treat sex. Now more than ever, uh, the culture in which we live is just like, do you want to go to dinner? Do you want to have sex? Do you want like what? And it's, it's like it's just another thing to do. But you and I know this is not true, that, that sex is just physical. It's why it's hard for people to end a relationship that they know is not what they want for their future. But there's a soul tied to this other person. And, and they want to be out of it, but it's too hard because they've already had sex, and sex is more than physical. So they're having a hard time emotionally separating themselves from this individual. It's why, it's why when, when people uh, are raped, they're less likely to report it than when they've simply been beaten up because there's, um, there's shame attached to their experience. Even though it wasn't their fault. It's why people who struggle with pornography usually struggle. And a lot of times they can trace themselves back to something that happened in childhood. But it's a thing that it feels like, man, I'm bound by this thing. Like, again, there's a, like a soul tie with an individual. I'm bound by this thing. I'm struggling in this area. Again, because it's not just physical. It's, it's more than that. It, it goes to a place mentally, emotionally, spiritually. It's deep things. And so sex is just physical is a lie. Here's another lie. You need to test drive before you buy. People think, and y'all laugh, but this is people's, people's mentality as it relates to sex. Um, you know, it's, it's a really important part of a relationship. I need to just make sure before I commit in this area that this is who I want to be with. Heads up, you are sexually compatible with thousands, if not millions of people. Y'all got, you got all the things you need, okay, in order to, but, but, but emotionally and spiritually, you're not. And, and when we introduce sex before we develop the relationship to the point of covenant commitment, then we mask the foundation and cover the real issues, and then sex begins to impact your decision in a negative way. So you're making decisions about your future based on that, even when you know, man, this is not the direction I want to go. And people think that experience is essential for determining a life partner. So a, a husband and a wife, what if I get with somebody who I really love emotionally, mentally, spiritually, we're all syncing up, but they're just, you know, they're not an expert in the area of sex, or they're not that good at sex. It's like, how much of an expert do you want your spouse, your new spouse, to be in the area of sex? Like, if, if anything, biblically, the idea is, man, let's learn together, let's grow together, and out of a place of spiritual, emotional, mental intimacy, it begins to spill over into that area, and it's a lot more pleasurable, it's a lot more fulfilling in this area of life when we prioritize the right things. Um, I'm going to speak specifically to couples who are living together, but before they get married, um, as a way of trying things on, and this group of people, around 70% are more likely to end the relationship and divorce if you start this way. Five, and these are just stats. So five to eight times more likely to cheat on one another than someone who marries traditionally and then moves in together. Brooke and I, we did marriage counseling a few years ago. This was actually before the life of Soma, before we started this church. And there was a couple, and we love them. They're amazing and uh, you know, the, 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 the girl came to us and said, hey, I really want you to do my wedding. And we knew that they had been living together for about eight years. And we knew also that the, where they were spiritually were just in two different places. And in many ways, it just felt like she was kind of, um, that he was just doing the thing for her instead of doing it because he really felt compelled to step into a covenant relationship. And so 
A lot of red flags. And to be honest with you, I mean, I just navigated it poorly. I did. I justified premarital and even the marriage with, man, you know, I get to preach Jesus. And either way, they're going to get married. They've been living together for eight years. Come on, let's do the thing. And uh, family was really excited. We loved them and everybody involved. But I just felt like a check in my spirit the whole time. And so we go through with the marriage. We go through with the ceremony. Four to five months in. Four to five months in, uh, they've separated. So I've been living together for eight years. But again, stepping into a covenant relationship, four to five months in, they've separated. And so it doesn't mean that it has to be your story. But it definitely is, it should cause you some alarm as it relates to this idea, this lie that the enemy seeds that you need to test drive before you buy. We know this is true because divorce in America, for the first marriage, the rate of divorce is 50%. For the second marriage, people who are on their second marriage, the rate of divorce is 67%. For the third marriage, the rate of divorce is 75%. And so experience is not essential. There's plenty of people who have experience. Wisdom, biblical wisdom is essential when, when, when determining a life partner. This is what God wants for you. And he doesn't want you to be frustrated. And he doesn't want you to live in shame. And he doesn't want you to live in a place consistently where you feel broken. He wants you to flourish. And the way to do it is to align with what he wants. And so what does he want when it comes to this area of our life for relationships? What, what did he make it for? What is sex about? Here's the first one is procreation. And this was pretty obvious, but... I'm going to speak to it. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And then he goes on and he gives the command and he tells them, be fruitful and multiply, subdue, bring dominion on the earth. And he's basically saying, have kids. This is a huge part of what it is, is to have kids. Brooke and I, we have five kids at home, one in heaven. So not only are we pro-life, we're prolific. You know what I mean? And we understand the beauty and the privilege and even the miracle that it is to have a kid. Like, it's just, I don't know, like, I've experienced some really cool things. Like, God's, I've seen miracles. I've, I've seen really cool things happen in people's lives. There's nothing more miraculous that we've experienced, that I've experienced, than being there, like, at the birth of your kid. It is wild. It's wild. There was no human. Now there's a human. And then God invites us into that. Like, he allows us to take part in the renewal of all things by, by being fruitful and multiplying and bringing dominion. How crazy is that? Also, I mean, I didn't have much of a part to play in it. Like, I was in the hospital room and I watched it play out. But how amazing are women, by the way? Come on, can we just like a three-second clap break for all the moms in the house? Like, I'm pandering, okay? But for, but for real, procreation, that's a part of, this is, this is a part of what God's design is as it relates to sex. It's not a small thing. It's a miraculous thing. Uh, also, it's how you got here. So it's like, it's really important. And then here's the second one, pleasure. So procreation, but also pleasure. Sex is not just for procreation. There are some who would teach that, by the way. There's a percentage of the church that would teach, hey, it's just really for procreation. But it's not. If you read the whole Bible, you realize, man, he's also designed it for pleasure. Also, why would he attach pleasure to it if that wasn't a part of the intent and the purpose behind it? That it, it's about building an intimacy with your spouse, where you're giving yourself to one another in ways that you're not giving yourself to anybody else. That's the whole idea around this level of pleasure. And I want to say this around this topic. God designed it for pleasure. If you're in a marriage, you're in a covenant relationship with one another, and you're experiencing struggles in your intimacy, it should be a red flag because it should be pleasurable. It's not that something's wrong with you. 
It's just that there is something to address because it should be pleasurable. You should enjoy one another. That's the whole idea. And, and the idea is when we're doing it in the right way, it lacks shame, makes you free to enjoy one another in the context of marriage. A lot of people think, man, it's going to be, you know, sex inside of marriage is boring. Sex inside of a covenant is boring because of whatever broader culture or whatever people put in a movie or whatever. And it's like, no, you're freed up to, in a way that you've never been freed up. And it hits different. I'm going I'm to prove it to you. Song of Solomon is uh, an erotic love poem, a Jewish erotic love poem that God put in the Bible. A lot of people think it's allegorical. So they'll say, well, you know, it's like the lovers are like the church and God, and except we're going to read it, and you determine whether or not it's allegorical or whether we're for real. Okay, so this is a couple on their wedding night, honeymoon, guys looking at the woman, and, and, um, and they're in the bedchamber. And here's what happens in verse 1. This is the, the type of pleasure that God desires for us. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful your eyes behind your veil are doves. He goes on, your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. My man has game, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> flock of goats. Like she, she, like she, when she takes her hair down is what happened is she does her hair like this. And he's like, what am I going to do to describe this? Your hair is like a flock of goats. So they look, but it, but it worked. Ancient, ancient Middle East, it worked back in the day. I love verse two, it's my favorite. Your teeth or like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Girl, you got all your teeth. <laughs> ah. like you and I, like we're American, modern-day American. Like we, we, everybody got braces. Everybody white, teeth whitening. Back in the day, it was like, please, Lord, let her have all. Oh, she got all her teeth. <laughs> yeah, girl. Flock of sheep. Verse 3. This is good. Y'all write this down. Spit this. Later, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. He's talking about her cheeks and her lips. And then he goes on, your neck is like a tower of David built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields and all of them shields of warriors. He begins to speak to how she carries herself. If you go back to chapter one in this uh, passage in Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, depending on what your Bible says, um, she's, she's insecure in chapter one. And she speaks to her insecurity. She doesn't like the way she looks. And all he does is affirm her verbally in this passage, speaking to the way that she carries herself. And just a reminder, again, for all the guys in the room, like for those of us who are in that covenant relationship, if you're married, your wife is your standard of beauty. So whatever she is, that's what you're into, right? And so, and if it changes over the course of time, if things shift, hey, now all of a sudden I'm really into that. Whatever that is, that's what I'm into. And begin to speak verbally those things over her. And then look at number five. This is so great. He says, your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. And so again, people who read this allegorically, I'm like, how? We're like, well, it's the old, the one breast is the Old Testament. The other breast is the New Testament. And the cross is in the middle. It's like, no, bro, that's not, this. It's not what's saying. Nope. And so uh, for all my hunters, everybody loves a good hunting metaphor, right? Um, the whole idea when he's, when he's doing this, he's like, hey, two fawns browse among the lilies. How do you approach them? Slowly, carefully, men. This is how we approach when it comes to sexual intimacy. Have a careful approach is what he's saying. Women just have an approach, okay? Like it doesn't matter how you approach 
I'm going to help all my guys out. Like, it, it doesn't matter how you approach, as long as you approach. Even if we think you're approaching, uh, we're like, awesome. Verse 6, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. And again, if you spend some time reading, reading Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, matter of fact, if you're Orthodox Jewish, you can't even read that until you're like 30 because it's so hot and heavy. I didn't even read the saucy part, right? So it's just like God, God displays, hey, sexual intimacy, a, a huge part of that is pleasure. And, and he, he's not trying to withhold things from you. He wants you to flourish in a covenant relationship with one another. And the best place for you to flourish in the area of sex is inside of what God designed. So procreation, pleasure, and here's the last purpose of sex, and that's protection. The Apostle Paul, they wrote him, the church in Corinth, and they were talking about all the struggles that they were having around sexual impurity, sexual morality. And he said, hey, I wish it was like, I wish you were like me in the sense that you were graced with singleness. And some people in here, you will be graced with singleness maybe. God has called you to live a life where you're just fully dedicated to him, and you don't necessarily even need it. But that's rare. And Paul knows it's so rare that he decides to address it. He's like, also, I know that that's not reality for like 99.9% of people. And so he says, hey, it's better if, if, if sexual temptation is a thing for you. If you desire to be with people in that way, do it in the way that God has designed it. He says this in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, each woman with their own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. This is God's design. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. A lot of people take issue with that passage. But then he goes on. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife, to which most men are like, I yield. It's fine. I yield. Do not deprive each other except for perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So for all my married people and everybody who's headed in that, in that direction, God's design for marriage is first and foremost that you would help each other grow in Christ-likeness in ways that you couldn't get in isolation. So it's not about some of the other things that we think of. It's, it's primarily how, what can I do to help prepare my spouse to meet Jesus, including this area. What do I need to do to help them so that I'm not creating unnecessary stumbling blocks. I'm not creating, and again, it's super hard navigating this because, um, and we hurt one another a lot of times in a marriage relationship or in relationships in general. And there's bitterness and resentment and there's, there's, there's unforgiveness and there's hard things that we navigate. But again, God's desire is that we would serve one another and not just in the area of physical intimacy because that's a lot of the issue. Because, and, and another thing too, no one take this passage home and be like, told you. That's like the opposite of what I'm saying. Again, Matthew 7, it's not you, it's me. Jesus is saying, don't you dare do that. Matter of fact, why don't you do some self-reflection, some inventory of your own heart and motivation as it relates to 1 Corinthians 7. Again, I'm applying it to me, not to you. And the question is, am I building intimacy by serving the needs of my spouse? This is God's design. Not just physically, but in every regard, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. And guess what? Out of the overflow of that, physically, it hits different. When we're more focused, when we're more intentional about growing in the area of intimacy. 
But it's important and it's God's design that we would protect one another and we do it in that covenant relationship. So God's desire is that you and I would walk in purity and that we would surrender our sex lives, our sexuality, and say, God, you're in charge. You've designed it. You created me. You don't have a sex problem. You have a sin problem. And for many of us, we will surrender most of our life. Oh, Jesus, you Lord over my life, except maybe these few things. And the reality is, is that's not real surrender. Real surrender is taking every part of who you are, putting it on the table and saying, Lord, you, you're, you're God. You're in control. You created me. You know me better than I do. You want better things for me than I want for myself. And really trusting him with the results. And it's a process. It's not something that, man, I wish, it was, I wish we were so full of faith and that we trusted God from day one, like fully. And for a lot of us, we have to go through really broken things, really hard things to finally get to the place that we go, fine, take that as well. But he wants to free you. And this is Paul. He says this in a chapter just before in verse in chapter six, he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sin a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So why is it that we're that we drag around brokenness in this area? Why is it that we hold on to these things? Why is it that it doesn't seem other parts of our story? They don't mark us as much. It's because, and Paul tells us, because in this area of sin, you sin against your own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And listen, Jesus follower, and I'm only talking to Jesus followers, if you surrendered your life to Jesus, you've surrendered this to Jesus. You've surrendered your sexuality to Jesus. You've surrendered, you've surrendered intimacy to him. And your desire is to grow in more of him. You have to get to the place that you see that. And if you're here and you're struggling with sexual sin, and I know many of you are, I know it. And I don't know it because I know your business. I know it because statistics. I know it because of broader culture. I know it because of the place and the time in which we live. And I know it because we've been hiding ever since the fall. And God's desire is that you would experience freedom. God's not here to judge you, condemn you, make you feel shame. You're already there. His desire is to lift your head and help you. And so what if you ask God to give you a vision of your life in this area? And say, so, God, would you give me a vision for sexual intimacy? God, would you get, as it relates to relationships, romantic relationships, would you help me in the area of purity? I want to surrender my agenda, my motives, my heart, put it on the table. And God, I want what you want for me. And as people who are Jesus followers, we're supposed to be people who are also forgiving people. Because listen, if you're in Christ and you've experienced the forgiveness of God, how crazy is it that you, knowing everything that you've ever done, said, thought, all that kind of stuff, we're unwilling and in a place where we, we just can't forgive one another. And we have to. It's a command. We got to get to a place that, and, and I'm not saying be a, a doormat. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying we have to get to a place where we're, willing to receive, where we're willing to forgive others and we're also where we're willing to forgive ourselves, receive forgiveness in this area. And so just as a recap, when it comes to sex and your relationships, God has a standard. He has a standard, a desire for you and I to walk in flourishing. It means we, we operate within the standard that he has for us. And D Jesus died for the violation of that, you and I violated it. We don't have a sex problem, we have a sin problem. Jesus died for that. 
And the Bible illuminates our life in it. As I spoke today, and I just read passages of Scripture, the Holy Spirit spoke to you. I know he did because he always does. And God will illuminate the areas of your life that needs to be realigned with who it is that he's asked you to be. But here's the encouraging part. The Holy Spirit will also empower you to live the life that you can't live in your own strength. Because you can't. If you're frustrated in this area, it's probably primarily because you're trying to do it in your own strength. A couple things. Application. You need to pray. You need to operate out of the overflow of a personal relationship with Jesus. And you need to ask God to do what only he can do in your life. James 5, 16 encourages us to confess our sins one to another if we want healing. So if you continually hit your head up against the same wall, James 5, 16 is the way forward. You need some people who love Jesus, who love you, who are mature in faith that you trust to be able to go and say, I'm really struggling in this area. And I need to be open and honest about the things that I'm dealing with so that they can bring covering, so that they can bring prayer, so that they can bring accountability. And boom, God gives you over to a place of healing and a place of freedom. And then the last thing is we got to be more wise and discerning about how we navigate life. So again, we can't continually be frustrated with our predispositions to struggle in this area and then keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Remove the temptation. Flee from sin. Whatever you got to do, it's worth it. Whatever you got to do, it's worth it. And then watch God grow us in the area of sexual intimacy. It's a big deal. And it's an area that I know many of us struggle with. Many of us do. Um, And God's desire is that you would experience all that Jesus paid for. He He wants this for you and for me. And listen, if you and I would be set apart in this area, just like we're set apart in communication, just like we're set apart in every other area we're going to hit in this relationship series, oh, you would be great witnesses. You would be great witnesses at work, at home, your kids, your extended family. People would take notice about the way that you engage. Listen, if you're in a covenant relationship, the way you engage and love and serve one another, it'd be set apart. And we'll take ground for the kingdom. Let me pray for us.